Galatians, here we go. So we've, we, uh, I, I've prolonged the end of this, the, the, uh, the concluding paragraphs in the book of Galatians because it's, it's just so good and I just, I just, I wanted to just sit in it longer. We've talked, I've used this analogy for a few weeks. The apostle Paul's about to land the plane in the surge of power and he addresses these really powerful concepts that are basically uh, recapping the entire book that we've gone through uh, in these few short sentences. And so I just wanted to just uh, dwell here a little bit longer. And so I'm going to read uh, Galatians 6, 14 through 16, and we're going to be specifically looking at just verse 16 here this morning. The Apostle Paul is saying this to the church, but far be it from me to boast and accept in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And here's our verse today. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. So I want us to zero in on this statement. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them. Walking by this rule. So I'm reading this and I'm thinking to myself, wait a minute, haven't we just spent the last like six months talking about you don't have to abide by all these rules to gain salvation with the Lord. And now you're concluding this thing and he's telling us to walk by this rule. What rule is he talking about? What, why is, is this, are you unraveling everything you've just said? No, he's not. He's referring back to what he has just talked about. And what he just talked about, if you remember last week, is the Apostle Paul says, all these external rules you place on yourself don't matter and don't get you God. What matters is that you are a new creation, that you are born again, that you are made new through the Lord Jesus Christ. And then in that same breath, in that same thought that you and I are made new and we are a new creation, he says, so now as you live your life, as you walk throughout your life, live by that rule. In your rooted and grounded identity as a new creation. As you live your life, you live out of that place. Meaning your life will now be marked by holiness because Christ is in you. Because you are a new creation. You've been made brand new in Christ. And so now walk in the rule of the new creation that he has given to you. Um, what Jesus accomplished on the cross is the foundation upon which the structure of our Christian life is built. That's what Paul's saying. You are a new creation in Christ, and now as you live and walk through the world, the very superstructure upon which you build your life and walk throughout this life is Christ and the cross. That's the structure. And consequently, if we get that wrong, and this is what he's been addressing, if we get that wrong, we begin to tip into religion. We begin to try to tip the scales by our good works and all these outward external things that Paul's been addressing. He says, no, build your life upon the foundational structure of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And now as you walk in this new identity, uh, he will be 
your anchor and your center. I think about it this way. It's, it's kind of how I think even about how we structure our church is that our identity is found uh, in Christ, right? And so because of that, we have three core values that we, our church sort of orbits around, and that is that we would be worshipers. And if our identity is rooted and grounded in Christ and the gospel and that which he's done for us, then we will now be worshipers of Jesus because he is at our very core. And we also will begin to live in community and begin to orbit around church and family and friends as, and have Jesus as uh, our identity, even in how we operate in community. So we can be vulnerable. Well, community is not transactional, just what I get out of it, because Jesus is my very core and center. And so community begins to orbit around our identity and foundation in Christ. And then it doesn't just stop there, but I've been so changed and I've been so moved by the gospel and all that Jesus has done that it spills out into mission. And so we want to make disciples. We want to live on mission for God with Jesus as our core identity. And it all starts with the foundation of the cross. And if we get that wrong, like many of us do, depending on the day of the week, uh, and you put something else in that core identity seat, say you put money right there. I just really want that. I want more of that. Uh, We will then be worshipers of money. And we'll think about it. It will occupy a seat in a place of priority in our lives, and our lives will begin to orbit around how do we get more of it. And then we'll still live in community, but then all of our community and friendships will be transactional. What can I get out of this person? How can I step and advance in the ladder to get more of what is at the place of value in my heart? And I'll also, I'll spend my entire life on mission to make more disciples to make sure that we can get more of that. So whatever occupy, occupies that foundational place core in your heart will drive you. Put whatever you want in that identity seat. And if it's not Christ, it has catastrophic implications and inroads in our hearts and in our lives. Paul's saying, and the scriptures are saying, that our lives, when our identity is rooted in Christ, should be marked by a holy devotion. We should walk by that rule, Paul said in Galatians. There needs to be a stirring in the heart of the believer that would result in us longing to be refreshed and renewed in the good things of God. Um, That's why it's so important that we gather together. By the way, it's it's wonderful to get to see many of your smiling faces out there. This is great. So uh, I feel like we've all had wedding veils on for so long. So it's great to see a lot of y'all's faces. This is beautiful. That's why we gather. That's why we, we need to hear the, the proclamation of the truth of God's word and the gospel. That's why we always need to be re-reminding ourselves to, to place our, our primary focus and our identity rooted in Christ. That's why we do this over and over again, to celebrate the Lord's day, that he is risen that he's no longer just in a, in a tomb, but he is risen and alive and ruling and reigning. That's why we worship. That's why we do all these things. The writer of Hebrews describes it in this way, this, this idea of walking in holy devotion. In Hebrews 10, 14, I think we'll have the, the, the words behind me. He says this, For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. The NIV translates it this way, which I like, uh, those who are being made holy. 
by a single offering, that is the offering of the Lord Jesus Christ, the cross, for all time, he has perfected for all time those who are being made holy. Hebrews 10.10, he continues and says this, and by that, and by that will we have been sanctified, or we have been made holy through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. So our walking in holiness, our walking by this new rule is rooted in our new identity as new creatures. Um, And the writer of Hebrews, if you've not read through Hebrews, it is a wonderful book. It's all on the priestly work of Christ, that Jesus Christ is our high priest. And he takes the place of all the priests that came before him in the Levitical laws. He accomplished all the sacrificial requirements that the law required in our high priest, Jesus Christ. Read it if you haven't. It's wonderful. But Hebrews is, is essentially boiling down the essentials and boiling down these two things. One that all that God wants has been achieved through the Son. And two, all that we need has been accomplished through the Son, through our high priest, Jesus Christ. And so now because of that reality, because of that rule that Paul talks about in Galatians, because we are new creatures, we can now be made to walk in holiness. All right? So what is walking in holiness? It's such a churchy word. What is, what is being sanctified in the Lord? Um, see, the word holy, when you first look at it in the Old Testament, when you go back, it's not a, it's not a new word. It's an old word. <laughs> um, it doesn't, a lot of us, we kind of think of it, it's, it means this moral state, like we're, we're good, like I'm a good person. I'm holy. I do holy things. Well, in the Old Testament, it, has, it, doesn't, it, it doesn't really correlate with moral standing, with moral right standing. What holiness often refers to is a relationship. Uh, in a relationship, a special one between something and God. So in the Old Testament, cities are described as holy cities. The city itself doesn't occupy this moral state. It is because God has decided to set something apart. He decides that which is holy. Um, We have holy vessels that's talked about in the Old Testament. Buildings sometimes are described as holy places. So what does it mean? It means that these things that God decides have a special relationship to him. Um. And it is that way with you and I in our salvation and redemption. We have been put in a special relationship to God. We, now in Christ, have been set apart from what is common use to now what is holy use. 1 Corinthians 6, you've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Um. Uh, or think about it this way. Uh, if you're married in here, before you were married, maybe uh, you had uh, other girlfriends, or you had other boyfriends, or you will one day have a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Um, but on the day that I was married, uh, June 11th, 2005, whatever had been in my past, and the people that I took to the high school prom, and all those other uh, dances and all sorts of things, right? Uh, a whole new chapter has occurred in my life. 
because the day that I was united to Ashley in marriage, I came in as an individual and two came down and became one. We were made new. Something new was started there. In my life, and in, uh, in our 16 years of marriage, we have been ratifying the commitment that was made in each of our vows together. And our love, by the grace of God, begins to deepen and grow and mature by his grace. Um, and the same is true when we are united with Christ. Uh, we are now one with him. His blood covers us. We are buried with him in baptism and we are risen to new life with him uh, as he is risen to new life. Uh, we are unified with him in such a profound way that it changed us. We're new. And so the vows that we make to the Lord Jesus Christ, so to speak, that he has chosen us and that he has called us not for common, but for that which is holy, which would reflect his name. We can't fool around with that. Paul says, we need to walk in this rule. It should be, it should be seen and felt and, 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 and visible to this world around us. Don't fool around on him. Don't just say, oh, you know, if, if I... If I have time, I'll get around to all that Jesus stuff. No. This is life and death here. Hebrews 12, 13 tells us, without holiness, no one sees the Lord. Whoa. Does your heart long for the things of God? Are you in a place where you're dry spiritually, where you, it, it doesn't? I'll say this, keep pressing in, keep pressing on, keep leaning into the good things, keep running toward that which is good, right and true and beautiful because it is found in Christ. And this process of... <laughs> The sanctification and walking in holiness, I think about it like this. It is a constant, lifelong process of construction and deconstruction. Building things up in your life and removing things that don't need to be there. Construction and deconstruction, construction and deconstruction. And as we do and as we walk that road... God begins to shape us. He begins to change us. He begins to mold us. He begins to speak to us. He begins to remove things that aren't like him. He begins to build things in that are like him in our lives. And by his grace, we begin to grow. And we begin to reflect him more. And we are able to love one another more effectively and more beautifully. It's a renovation that goes on forever and ever and ever until we see him one day face to face. Dallas Willard wrote a great book called The Renovation of the Heart. You should pick it up. It's incredible. Um, side note. Um, when you go, if anyone's ever traveled to Great Britain, and you go to these beautiful places, like some of these castles or some of these homes or some of these establishments, uh, the places that occupy royalty have on the buildings themselves a coat of arms, the royal coat of arms. And it's 
kind of, it's, it's prominent and it's right there for everyone to see. And so whenever you see the royal coat of arms uh, before you, before you walk into this building, you can know this for certain. Um, that behind the scenes, before that crest was placed there, royalty had taken the initiative. Royalty had made a purchase of that property. Royalty had established ownership. And then the renovation work began to make that purchase and make that place fit for the dwelling place of a king. So that crest represents ownership, it represents renovation, it represents this is fit for a king. That's what's happening in our lives by the work of God. It is a renovation. And the Holy Spirit seals us and he says, this one is mine. And he's taking each of us on a process of renovating the spaces in our hearts and in our lives and he's shaping us through community and through church relationships and through friendships and through marriages and through parenting and he's rooting out that which is not of him and he's building in that which is of him. And it doesn't just happen through like a a surge of emotion and then it's like, it's done. It doesn't just happen by this like event necessarily. Those can be good and wonderful and the Lord uses our emotions and the Lord uses wonderful events as landmarks in our lives to remind us of his goodness. But the primary way that the Lord continues to shape us is through the painstaking day by day working out our salvation with fear and trembling. as we walk by the rule that we are a new creation in Christ. And in Galatians and 6 and 6.16, it tells us when we do that, when we walk in that, he promises us something. He says, when you do that hard work, when you get up in the morning and you, by the spirit of God, keep pressing on and let the Lord do the hard work of renovation of the heart, he says, Peace and mercy will be yours. I need that. Peace and mercy. Paul says to the Romans, if you live according to the sinful nature, you die. But if you live by the spirit, you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Um, The Puritans call this the mortification of the flesh. John Owen old Puritan theologian wrote a great book called The Mortification of Sin. The same idea. Uh, We don't write books like that anymore because people don't buy them. We write about vivification, things that bring life. Jesus brings lots of life, but there's also plenty of places in the Bible where it says, you need to put this to death. You need to get rid of this. Mortification and vivification. Mortification is the rooting out of the things that aren't like him. And when we're walking by the rule of a new creation in Christ, we need to, by the Spirit, he'll show us where to remove these things that aren't of him. And it's hard. And it never happens by accident. That work, you don't ever stumble into doing that. 
It doesn't happen by osmosis. It just, you don't trip into it. Um, it doesn't even happen just by like occupying a chair at church. It actually takes the spirit of God coming in and convicting our hearts and then we actually have to walk it out and remove it and kill sin in our lives by the spirit's prompting. It has to be deliberately done. The Westminster Confession of Faith says it this way, and it's really helpful. It says the Christian is involved um, in a continual and irreconcilable war. Man. Um, and it's not just for like the, the, the big obvious ones, the big obvious sins. It's, it's for even these inward ones that we struggle with, like envy and pride, and malice, and greed, and hypocrisy, and self-righteousness. Um, we're to attack those things and rid them, get rid of them. Um, I was, I'll just say, uh, I have it written, and then I was like, ah, I'm not telling it. I'm going to tell it anyway. So <laughs> I was thinking about this. How can we... How, how can we describe at what level we need to be just removing the sins of our life and ridding them and getting them out of our lives? And I thought about uh, junior high youth camp, okay? Follow me. I know. You're like, what? Um, I, I, I was a youth pastor for years uh, in my 20s. And inevitably, in the boys' dorm at junior high youth camp, there was kind of the dance at the end where everyone would kind of get all dolled up and we'd have a dance and a hoedown. It was you're like, what? That doesn't sound like a very good camp. That's what we did at our junior high church camp. Um, inevitably, there's always like, cause that, and everyone would be eating candy the whole time, like, right? And so like be terrible camp food and they'd get to dance. They'd want to ask a girl to dance with them. And, and there'd always be a couple of those kids that they just got one of those giant zits right there or right there. And the kids, the boys are like, oh no, not tonight, not dance night. This can't be happening. And so they would, this is gross, I know, they would just go, just get after it, just try to get rid of that zit, right? And they would just go, and it's like, you're making it worse, just stop. And they'd hear, they'd be, oh my God, like, in the bathroom, they'd be like crying. And it just is, it's gross, I know, right? So this is, but I, the Bible talks about the, the urgency and the immediacy and the ruthless way we need to attack sin and root it out of our lives. You'll never forget that, I promise you. I know you're grossed out and you wish I wouldn't have said it, but you're not gonna forget. The way a junior hire attacks his acne problem is the way we are to attack sin in our lives. Amen? Okay. See, it did work. It just took a little while to get there. Don't send me an email, I know. Um, we need to just have that level of like, I gotta get rid of this. You can't just let it fester in your life. Just, our, sin doesn't just accidentally go away. By ignoring it, it gets worse and worse and worse. Um, we have to put to death the sins of the flesh, and we need to walk by the new rule that we are a new creation in Christ. Hebrews 12, member tells us, without Holiness, no one will see the Lord. He's reminding us of this, that a holy life is some of the only sound evidence that we have of a saving faith in Jesus Christ. 
Now, real quick, real quick, real quick. Last things. What do we do now? Now, now what? Okay. Yeah, I understand that. We need to renovate our lives. We need to attack sin. We walk in the new rule of the gospel. So how do we do this? Like, what, how do we build this into our lives? Like, what steps do we need to take? Well, I think a life marked by holy devotion and a life that's living by the rule of the gospel that Paul talks about at the end of Galatians, that we would experience peace and mercy, I think just real practically, we need to be feeding on the word of God. Like, feeding on this. An army can't march on an empty stomach. Um, Howard Hendricks, great professor at Dallas Seminary, was famous for always standing up before he taught a class. And he'd take his Bible, and he would say, and look out to his students, and he'd say, this book will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from this book. And that's true. This book will keep you from sin. Feast on the word of God or sin in your life unchecked will keep you from this book. I wrote that in my Bible years and years ago. And it's great to meditate on. God's word says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly or stands in the way of sinners or sits at the seat of scoffers, but delights in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates on it day and night. Let it occupy your mind and your heart. And maybe you're like, well, I don't like reading. I'm not a great reader. I get distracted. Listen to it. There's an app, you can put your headphones on, hear God's word as you're going about your day. Let it start making some inroads into your life. Live in the awareness of the sanctifying work of God's spirit. Um, and finally, so feed, feed on God's word, finally rest in the grace of God. Uh, not only do we, yes, we need to heed the warnings of God. They're, they're there for our benefit. We need to understand those. But we also need to trust in the promises of God. Paul prays for the Thessalonians and he prays that they would be kept blameless. He's saying live in awareness of the spirit of God, of the sanctifying work of God as you live your life. And you'll know that the spirit is going to accomplish its purposes. Hebrews ten seventeen says this. The Spirit of God adds, their sins and their lawless acts, I will remember no more. Rest in the grace of God. That's an amazing verse. Their sins and their lawless acts, I will remember no more. Because of the cross and resurrection, God can say to you, their sins and their lawless acts, I will remember no more. This is the amazing thing of the gospel, the wonder of grace when we turn from sin and we rest in Christ. And I want you to know this is gonna happen in your life. Um, when you begin thinking about these and you begin trying to build your life on these promises and the grace of God, the enemy, the evil one is gonna come and he's gonna whisper accusations to you. And he's gonna remind you of that thing you did yesterday, a year ago, two years ago, five years ago. 
and he's going to accuse you and he's going to throw shame at you and he's going to whisper lies to you. And what we're tempted to do because of religion, this is what Galatians is talking all about, is we want to fight back with all the good things we've done. We want to start stacking a scale of all the goodness that we've done. Um, We want to try to uh, combat the evil accusations that the enemy brings by tipping a scale. The scales are a a symbol of Islam and the Muslim faith. Our symbol is a cross. Rest in the grace of God. You don't have to tip the scales. And when you go back to the Father and you start apologizing for all those things that you are being accused of, that you still have shame and guilt for, the most amazing thing about the gospel, about Christ, is the Father looks at you And he says, I don't know what you're talking about. What thing two years ago? What do you mean yesterday? Because of the cross, the blood of Jesus. That's the amazing grace of God through the Lord Jesus Christ when we embrace him as savior. Their sins and their lawless acts, he remembers no more. Like, if that's true, that's incredible. Not like he, put, he puts them in his back pocket and he plays those cards when you really need it and you need to be reminded. He doesn't remember them. He pushes the delete key on them because the blood of Jesus has covered them. That's amazing. He buries them in the depths of the ocean. The the scripture says, he casts your iniquity as far as the east is from the west. In Christ, you are a new creation. In Christ, we walk and we live by this new rule. We walk in holiness, not out of obligation to tip the scales, but because he's made us new. And it is our joy to root out sin in our lives and be made into his very likeness through the very power of the Holy Spirit working in our lives. Church, let's give ourselves to that ambition. Let's give up the small ambitions that we so often chase after and let's run after and live a life that would be to the praise of his glory and walk by the rule of righteousness and may peace and mercy be birthed in our lives as a result. Let's pray together, church. Father, we thank you for your word. God, would you help us as a church to walk in holiness, not to earn your favor, but because you have done all that you wanted to accomplish through Christ, and we can now build a life that would reflect that reality. God, I pray for those in here that maybe they, they just don't feel like doing that right now. Lord, would they keep pressing on into the good things? Would they keep leaning into that which is true? Would they feast this week on your word and be reminded of the promises that you've made to us? And would it awaken in their hearts and in their minds a desire to keep going and know more of you? Lord, I pray for those in here that are right in the middle of the renovation work of the heart. Would you give them endurance to run the race well? 
to keep walking in light of our new creation. And God, I pray for one in here that does not know you, that hears this and thinks, that can't be for me. I've done this, that, or the other. God, would they hear of your amazing grace that Jesus, you accomplished everything for them. They don't need to get it right first, God, but they would just bend the knee to you and say, Lord, I need you. I want this forgiveness. I want you to come and do a work in my life. And when they bring their empty hands of faith, Lord, would you uh, pour into their lives and do what only you can do and save sinners and make them into something brand new. Lord, we love you and we trust you. Do your work in our midst in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand.